Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we're welcoming the incredible Youssef Badu. Uh, Youssef is the leading expert in the areas of situational awareness and behavioral analysis. He is the founder of Emergence and the SAFE training program, which is situational awareness for employees. Uh, Youssef, it's awesome to finally have you on here. Hey, John, thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to get on here. I'm glad we can make this happen and uh, get some good stuff out there. And so the reason I came across your information and page and everything, uh, one of our mutual friends, Tony Blauer, was on hey, Tony. Talk, and we, we, and we talked about his fear stuff and a lot of the stuff we kind of went into the minutia of uh, reaction versus uh, like how you react to different stuff happening and stuff. And I really piqued my interest back in talking to like want to learn more about behavioral analysis and some of these pre-attack indicators and type stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know it's taken a bit if you get on here, but again, I'm grateful you're on here and spend some time today talking to our viewers. And uh, specifically, a lot of stuff happening the last year, even the last week, uh, that uh, I'd love to hear your opinion on. So again, thank you for jumping on here. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it's it's really infor- interesting information for your readers, and you won't realize when it might save your life one day or the life of another person by just being aware of certain indicators, pre-attack indicators, just behaviors. You know, you walk around and, and you see people on their phones. You know, before we learn behavior analysis, step one, can we get the public to you know pick their head up out of their phone? So give them some good information that they can utilize quickly. So before we kind of jump into what you're the expert in, when it came to the military and the Marine Corps and these combat tours you served, was there a specific moment during your training or your missions where you thought there was more to be done in terms of the studying of behavioral analysis? Um, At the time, while we were in a deployment, you know, you're just trying to, you know, duke it out and fight and survive. So the behavioral component might not necessarily come to the top, like it's a conscious thought, but what you develop over first, second, and third tour over there is that innate ability to look at a crowd and, you know, have that gut feeling go, Hey, something's off. Everybody start paying attention. Um, Combat deployments will make you really good at situational awareness, even if you don't understand the verbiage or you never have been educated, because if you don't pay attention, people die right in front of you. So uh, at an innate level, a natural level, definitely we got into it. But because of the deployments we got into, that's why we developed this type of um, mindset, because we were kind of playing itchy and scratchy out there. They pop up, it's playing whack weasel. So we had to figure out a, a way to get smarter and pick this needle out of a haystack because in Iraq and Afghanistan, not all people were bad, but you had those bad actors. So we had to get real smart, real quick on how to understand behavior. Is it tough to, when you try to teach someone, say they've been in Iraq or Afghanistan or a combat zone, and those environments on paper, probably they, to appear to the John Q public, more conducive to uh, roadside bombings, IEDs, uh, attacks, as opposed to, say, a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. And it's like, how do you kind of get that mindset to people thinking where and, and, uh, people always like, well, we shouldn't have to think this way in a school or think this way in our daily lives or go to a church or whatever. But you do have to start thinking the way because these bad guys, are, they're out there. And so how do you kind of get that mindset to people where it's like, hey, 
this, uh, what I'm talking about in Iraq or Afghanistan could just as well happen at the local grocery store. Absolutely. Um, so to give you a, a spectrum, you know, when you talk about somebody who's been to combat, that vet who's been there and done that, that's definitely good. That is an aware person and they're definitely paying attention to their to their surroundings. But where it actually becomes detrimental, detrimental to guys like us who have been there, guys and gals, is that we go too far on the other side. So if John Q. Public is completely unaware of their surroundings, zero percent awareness, uh, vets are 120 percent aware of everything. And because violence and threats were such a big part of our life, the answer to the question is always violence or an attack. Someone's trying to hurt me. So in that, you can actually burn out. If you're so vigilant and you're so paying attention to everything, your brain only has a, a certain amount of attention currency it gets given every day. Let's say you wake up with a hundred bucks of attention currency. Vet, not a vet, John Q. Public, if you spend that brain currency on stuff that doesn't matter, by noon, you're going to miss the thing that's a, re a real problem. So that's one side of the spectrum where definitely having the combat and the vet is good, but sometimes we go too far. Where John Q. Public is the problem is they're, you know, zero, they're less than zero aware of their surroundings. They're not even when they have their heads in the phone, we're not even talking about behavior. We're talking about just physical threats getting run over by a car. So that's the big gap you have to fill. Some people have seen the stuff, they, they know how bad it can be, but sometimes we whip too hard and we're paranoid and that's a bad thing. Where John Q. Public has zero awareness, they're not conditioned, they've never seen violence, it's not their fault, you know, uh, but there's ways around that. You don't have to actually witness and see violence right in front of you to be much more aware of your surroundings. When you talk about the people with their heads in their phone not paying attention to everything going on, is that a product of the society we're in now where People are so tied into TikTok and all this stuff. Or is part of it people assume there's other people making sure nothing bad happens? At what point does the person whose head's in the phone have a responsibility to react or say something or do something that can help save lives as opposed to just staring at their phone? Yeah, that's a big question. Yeah. So, you know, people look at it, there's a bystander effect. People see it as like a defense mechanism. You see somebody get beat up, you look at your phone or you videotape. To us protectors, that doesn't seem like a normal behavior. That That's very strange. But again, these people aren't conditioned for that. So they only fall back to, I don't know, what I'm used to, what makes me comfortable, which is my phone. And that's what I'm going to go to. Is it a societal thing? Absolutely. With technology and and whatnot, uh, ways to break it. Honestly, the sad, the sad answer to this is my business. What I do now is when do you think people call me, John? Is it is it before the attack? Already happened. Yeah, it's after right the after. violence. Now someone has been conditioned. Now someone's having problems. I, I was just working with an overseas uh, organization that does really, really good stuff in the world. They protect our, our young ones. And they had an incident where one of their, um, basically their people got killed on the job. So, and in hor horrible murder. And so not only did you have this effect, not only you have the organization reaching out to me, you have that one part of violence. Now you have the secondary and tertiary effects, this ripple effects where people don't want to go to work. They're like, I can't wake up in the morning thinking about this colleague. So that's the range of that side. If that makes sense, sorry. When I had Tony Blower on, we had this analogy where when, when you're, if you're in a baseball game, there's a chance a, a foul ball or a piece of bat or a piece of equipment could hit you. And those people that react to it are able to stop it while holding their beer, whatever it yep. is. So mm -hmm. But that using that analogy to what you just said, to in terms of stopping or be ahead of, say, workplace violence or something in your field where you're trying to be proactive, are you able to get someone's mindset to 
sure, there might not be an ARB gummy that comes into my store today, or there might not be uh, active, uh, whatever it is, workplace violence where I'm in my office. How do you get a corporate mindset, the CEO, to buy into this idea of put the time in and research now, potentially catch that fly ball before it comes your way or whatever, as opposed to, again, like, you, hey, we're going to call you Seth now because we didn't put the time in to kind of get ahead of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it, it's it, it's not one silver bullet. Everyone's trying to run around looking for a silver bullet. It's many bullets, you know, pardon the pun, you know. So it's not uh, threats and violence come different vectors. So when I go to an organization, you have to be specific. You know, when you talk to people about, you know, awareness, like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to be aware, aware of what everything, you know, it's like you got to be specific. So when I work with an organization, usually there's a specific threat a specific threat vector, someone who has made a statement, there's some type of incident that's starting this. So if I look at someone, for example, let's just say a political campaign, political campaign is uh, afraid of political violence. So we'll sit down and work out one behavior training is part of it, but we'll figure out what that specific threat vector looks like. What historically in this area, what have these uh, political violence looked like? What was uh, in the threat? Why do you think it's a physical threat? That's step one. Sometimes it's like, was it a threat? You know, do they have the capability to do that? And as you talk through these things, you you talk about convincing an owner or CEO, there's not much convincing. Once you walk through the steps and you kind of explode this problem, they go, Oh God, here, I'm not prepared for this. It's like, yeah. But then you start injecting, you know, little pieces, wherever those kind of vectors come in. Like you kind of talk about that, like the the Supreme Court justices right now that we don't have to talk about what they're dealing with the Rovers Wade or what side's wrong or right. But with active politicians and people out there saying, oh, we got to go to their houses. We got to do all this stuff from a security standpoint or some of you on the outside looking in their routes to where they go to work, their housing, like everything is very everything's in tune. Everything's scheduled. Everything's very. How do you kind of change that up on the fly actively as opposed to waiting for something to happen, jumping the fence of someone's house or attacking their car and stuff like that? When someone wants to do violence, not and again, we're talking about targeted, coordinated violence, not random criminal pickpocketing. When someone right. wants to do that, there, there's behaviors, there's steps, there's procurement, there's planning around that. And what I tell people is that person who wishes to do you violence is using you uh, as a planning technique. They're using your patterns, your everyday, when you drive home, when you pick your kids up, that's what's telling them how they're gonna kill you, how they're gonna hurt you. So if I told you that, would you change up? Would you start doing things different? Because that's what they're using in the MO. You look at terrorism. It's like, I say that a lot, itchy and scratchy. A criminal, a violent person will do something, will do something to counteract that, They'll counteract that, and it's it's back and forth, and it's it's an evolution of the game. It's going to keep on going. So that's what I tell people: is that just know you are broadcasting how to kill you, how to take you out, how to where where your patterns are when you keep a, a set pattern like that. But again, also preface that with targeted. You know, I don't want your listeners, you know, running surveillance detection routes all the right. time because that's when you flip into paranoia. You know. After the Buffalo shooting in the grocery store and, and this a couple of days ago, the Texas school shooting, no one can refute their tragedies. And what I find disheartening is that when people say, why don't we have our military or off-duty cops to schools or hospitals or whatever it is, a lot of the people that are against that are like, well, should, the tragedy should ever happen. And I agree, but it's the rhetoric that comes from some of that side where it's like, well, 
this stuff is going to happen. The bad guys are going to do bad things no matter what laws are in place. Why don't we start being proactive in terms of giving jobs to military guys that want to help these schools or just be on post or what it is? It's I, I, I don't know if there's a way to do it where why can't we or local police station or whatever put a meeting every month, hey, we're going to go over uh, characteristics of an armed gunman. We're going to go over some basic stuff that's not OPSEC, but training that's readily available to town people. It's like, I'm sick of hearing the excuse, well, we shouldn't have to do this. We should be safe. Well, yes, we should be, but we're not going to be because bad guys are bad guys. Yeah, you know, what's uh, part of my French, but, you know, shit in one hand, wishing the other, you know, uh, I can wish right. this bad stuff happens, but it's going to bad any any anything that right. a criminal or violent person is going to do or can will they will pull off. So the talking about, hey, my feels hurt. and I don't think we should operate like that. You know, I've heard people say, you know, uh, well, you know, a school shouldn't look like a prison. It's like, yeah, it shouldn't do any of that stuff. Our kids shouldn't be getting shot in the yeah, I don't want any of that stuff to happen. But instead of having this kind of philosophical debate. Let's get specific. So going back to my attack vectors, let's look, look at a school. I'm getting obviously active shooter things are happening. Yes. You look at a school. Where's an attacker, you know, going to usually enter from either they're, you know, our student or a prior student. They're usually driving to these areas, not every time, but in the parking lot. So step one, what do I want to do is I want to do pre-identification, pre-attack identification before the shots are fired. So that's what we were talking about, John. I'd come in once a month and we train people, hey, characteristics of an active shooter. Here's the history of what active shooters look like. You know, not meaning that's only what they're going to look like, but there's some things they do. Actions, weapon systems. So that's the education. And then the next step is, let's say the parking lot leading in the classroom. We need to slower isolate the shooter. You know, if you go to any secure federal, a lot of secure federal areas, it's like the Titanic. You know, not one room can be gotten yes. into. You can shut everything down. So now where you can slow or disrupt and isolate the shooter. And there's all sorts of things you can do once you have them isolated. You can you know, vector tactical. You can fill the whole thing full of CS fog and, you know, pass out. You know, there's all these options. But are we going to stop at 100%? But no, there are these stoppages you can put all in the way. So by the time, you know, their plan comes to fruition, hopefully something along that concentric ring has tripped either a staff member uh, looks at a behavior, um, they get locked in long enough for the tactical team to show up or whatever it is. I mean, this this recent one we just had today, where I believe up to three officers engaged the shooter. Three officers ineffectively right. engaged the shooter. There was a firefight, and finally it took the third officer to take him down. So it's not one bullet, many bullets. At what point, uh, and my mom's a works in the education department, so every time she's very concealed carry. She's very intuitive with get the training. It's better to have something of that use it and vice versa. And when she has these talks with some of the teachers, some of the teachers are very like, oh, do we really need this training? Or my mom would be like, well, if I, if you're with a student for as long as you are all year, you know when that person's having a bad day, whether it's an issue at home, uh, they're late, they're disheveled. You, you start building, you know what these people look like. And it's like, I feel like some people are so hyper-focused on teaching two plus two equals four in a teacher setting where they're not actually looking at why is this kid late? Why does he have a bruise on his arm? Or he seems sad or his even penmanship, penmanship changes. It gets darker, yeah. heavier, and all these different things you see where, where, at what point does it become too much for a teacher to handle? Like should something like a school employ a specific person that kind of just monitors this type of stuff in a classroom? Um, so you, you, you brought up a great point. You talked about teaching people two plus two. I'm going to give you and your listeners the, the last algorithm you'll, you'll ever have to remember to keep you safe. 
And that's baseline plus anomaly equals decision time. That's all it is. So you talk about baseline behavior. And this applies in school, Buffalo shooting, whatever it is. Everyone walking around has some type of baseline behavior, the norm, what should be. And the more you are conditioned to that person, the more you're around that person, the better you are at it. Have you ever been camping with one of your best friends, somebody you grew up with? Yeah. Maybe it's pitch black at night and it's a group of people and that person gets up and they cough and, you know, scratch their butt and you go, oh, that's Bill. You can pick them out of a crowd. You've been conditioned to their baseline physiology, how they move, how they scratch your butt. You're, you understand that baseline and you can see deviations. And now once we establish that behavioral baseline and you can baseline everything, a person, place, thing, doesn't matter. Now we start hunting proactively for anomalous behavior. So let me give you an example of procuring weapon systems. You know, that's a red flag for an active shooter. Someone goes out and buys a weapon system, all right? Within context of this person's behavior, there's someone who grew up in North Carolina. They had a shotgun, bird gun in their hand when they were three years old and they've been hunting their whole life. They turn 18 and they buy uh, you know, a camouflage shot, a shotgun. Okay, within context, I'm not getting a lot of bad indicators that follows their baseline behavior. But if you have an individual that collects magic cards, I used to play magic, you know, when I was a kid and pogs or whatever, you know, and maybe yeah, it's, yeah. It's a reader or video, whatever it is. And then one day they're like, hey, mom, I'm not, I'm done collecting rocks today. I'd like to look at guns. Oh, you thinking about getting into hunting? Not really. Okay, so now we have an innocuous behavior that just raised up at a level. Okay, it doesn't mean they're automatically guilty, but it's a deviation of the baseline, right? So now when we have an anomaly, a behavioral anomaly, we got to make a decision. We have to say something. We have to do something. We have to tell somebody because the biggest killer out there is denial when you're dealing with situations like this. No one wants to believe their family member, a loved one would be an active shooter. We see case study after case study of denial. You know, there was one incident years ago where, you know, you had a high school, I think it was a ninth grader uh, in Indiana, walks past his mom nine o'clock on a Tuesday morning with an SKS over his shoulder. He's walking out the door going, this is the only way, this is the only way. And they shot up a mall and they asked her after the fact, they're like, well, I thought he was hunting. I thought he was going to go hunting. And I name on a Tuesday, you know, kids are freshmen. So um, things of that nature. So if I could teach everyone one equation, baseline plus an anomalous behavior, it's decision time. I can't tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you, you got to do something now. One of the, so I do security for bands and stuff, and I've been privy to a lot of crazy scenarios, bomb threats, whatever it is. And I've also known friends that were affected with the Las Vegas shooting, the Bataclan, uh, the Manchester bomb with Ernie Grande, and all these, there's countless other different stuff that happens. And I have always thought, since I'm in the security world, I hate the term Monday morning quarterback because I wasn't there. Like it would could have been different if I was there, all that type of stuff. It's like, is that a healthy way to look at something? Or like, is there a better way to term that phrase as opposed to as, after the adaptive shooter situation, someone like you goes in there and be like, well, what was the point? What, what led up to this moment? It's like that type of thing. So is that the better way to kind of look at something as opposed to, well, if I was there, I would have done this or that, but you were there. What can we learn from this specific event to make sure it doesn't happen again? Yeah. Good question, John. So what I love about the Marine Corps, there's a lot of things I love and hate about the Marine Corps, but one of the things I always loved and I try to continue is the Marine Corps has something called the Marine Corps Center for Lessons Learned. And, you know, every after action, every combat, every deployment, everybody writes an AAR, you know, and, you know, most of it's, you know, just a lot of writing, but you can learn from these lessons that were written in blood. Most corporations, most organizations have no 
best practices, or if they do, they're kind of with the internal business workings, but doesn't have anything to do with threats. How we, how have we dealt with this before? Have, have we dealt with this before? Has this individual done this before? There could be multiple incidents and it never raised up to a point where that person got fired. So you wouldn't know. And so we can absolutely learn about after action reviews. Now, Monday morning quarterbacking to me, I'll give you an example, John, just this morning, the shooter, the two cops they talked about who engaged allegedly the shooter uh, yesterday, someone, you know, this is the, you know, uh, some mush head says, well, I guess, you know, what do we need cops for if they can't even win? You know, it's like, that is such a foul thing for you to think. Let me put you in a, a situation like that and see how you do. They did the best they could, but we can learn. So when you bad mouth and you say, I would have done this, I would have done that. We can look at a situation like that, Bart. Those actions didn't work in this situation. So what could have we done? You know, if you have firemen who are listeners, I, I um, some of my uh, hot shot crew and fire guys that I've talked to before, they have these things called, um, basically they call it a death walk. And they will take you to a catastrophic fire where there's a loss of life, you know, a fireman's loss of life. And they'll walk you through it every stage of the fire as the crew went through, like they had one like a few years ago in Arizona. And you might not know the outcome of this fire because there have been so many. And they're your coach, your fireman, the lead guy, the chief, he'll ask you questions. All right, here we are. The fire's doing this. At this point, what do you do? Oh, I would do A, B, and C. Boom, textbooks answer. Next one, what would you do? Textbook answer. Third point, textbooks answer. And then they get to the fourth point where everyone in the team died. And then they tell them, check it out. Your guys made the exact same decisions you did. Textbook, it was perfect. And every one of them died where you're standing right now. So now what? So the textbook answer didn't work. And you can sit there on those that kind of patch of ground and come up with a lot more effective ways to do that. So there's a difference in, in an after action. How do we get better? As opposed to Monday, you know, I would have puffed my chest. I would have done this like, right. no idea. I actually have a good idea. If someone makes comments like that, I have a 99% idea how they're going to act in a situation like that, dynamic like that. Right. When it comes to, and then we touched upon this earlier, the digital age with media today, when, when an event happens, whether it's Columbine, Sandy Hook, and you start building evidence and science based on what was used specific to the firearms to whatever it is, you start building these st statistics. Does the media, have they, I, everything gets very political when it comes to uh, when stuff like this happens. So not, I'm not picking sides here, but it feels like it gets in the way there, whatever the agenda is, gets in the way of the actual fact or science or the studies put into now when Buffalo happens or this Texas shooting, now they're added to that pile. And now when the next one happens and it will, how do you, how do we as, John Q. Public again, kind of look at these situations. Like, how do we pull out the facts of this? Like, where do we go? Do we reach out to someone like you, or it's like, hey, is there a website where we can actually see what the issue is and the statistics, as opposed to what media had telling me how do we think about a certain situation? Yeah, um, it, it, it's all to do with emotions, you know, John. That's what the media runs on. Whatever news media, whether it's social media, it's all run on emotions. I think uh, Facebook came out and. You know, everyone's blasting them. And they had a big report that came out and they said, what, what's the number one most shared emotion? What do you think, John? One emotion that's uh, shared in the, in the globe. What is it you think that gets out there that really goes viral? I mean, I would say anger or sadness. Outrage. Outrage. Outrage, right. Outrage is the most viral emotion oh. you can put out there. Uh, I know uh, people in marketing that say if they put out social media, you know, advertising or whatever, 
and 50%, if 50% of the comment section isn't just god awful horrible, then you didn't do enough to amp them up. So that's media, that's social media. These are all businesses. They all have revenue and profit lines. And if you tell them, hey, it's really not good, but this outrage really works, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to hammer it everywhere. So people get emotional. Um, and, and it's not necessarily their fault too, John. Here's what I do is when I hear like this person who, who made that comment, well, I guess we don't need cops anymore. So obviously they're an idiot. But um, I would probably like to think that that's a, a scared person. That person is unconditioned. And it's a horrible thought, John. Think about this. You know, you and me have been in security a long time, so we're a little bit more logical. Bad stuff happens all the time. But, you know, what, 19 children shot to death. That's an instant visceral yeah. emotional reaction. Problem is that that reaction might not solve the problem all the way, you know? Yeah, it's 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 one of those things, too, for me. It's When you see that stuff, it's I, I from, even for me sometimes, I can't filter through some of my anger or emotions, anger at the gunman or sad for the children or whoever gets killed. And to find that, that balance, that line where it's like, as a security professional, you or I still have to go into these situations now where it could happen when we're there or these aren't going to stop. And it's like, how do you kind of reset yourself and look at that and be like, man, what if I had kids or my nieces or it is, it's, it's tough to kind of like, so what do you recommend to, for these law enforcement, firefighters, people that are in these situations that we have to react to these certain situations, like what are some advice to kind of how to take, like kind of take away from this and be like, kind of move forward in a positive light where it's like, yeah, this stuff happens, but I now have to reset myself and move forward. Yeah. Um, so it, it takes uh, at the neighborhood level, at the John Q public level, it takes a community. It takes defense in depth. Um, you know, we pour everything on our law enforcement, um, but they, this is another thing they have to do, but they can't do it alone. Think about the you know, per capita of law enforcement to population. You know, there's no way a, a cop is going to get there in, in time when something happens unless they're standing there and even bad stuff happens there. So when I say a community approach. Do your schools and teachers and parents need very basic behavioral training? Do they need to go down the rabbit hole of ninja, this and that, and the other thing? Probably not. They just need a little bit. When people learn this stuff, John, you know, a baseline anomaly, when you break down kinesics and nonverbals, none of it's rocket science. Everyone, you know, you think your mind's going to get blown and I explain a simple concept to you. And then you go, you're about to, you're about to say something, you're on a wall and then wait a minute, that makes total sense. And you're like, yeah, it does. If you just take a minute to look at it, same with these problems. If you, if you try to dissect the problem, take it apart, turn the map around, you know, people call it divergent thinking. That's another one for your listeners. If they're welled up with emotion, they don't have the security background. They don't know what to do, you know, divergent, work it out, explode your problem, you know, try to look at ways we can, you know, what I talk about attack vectors. Is there any way we can slow or disrupt this chain of events in the military, uh, we called it. Um, they had a fun, fun acronym. It's called. Um, geez, hold on. Uh, I'm gonna mess it up. But basically, defeat the organization. If you have these bad actors out there, you got to defeat the kill chain. So yeah, the gun pulling the trigger—that's the final event in this long active shooter train. There was a whole other chain of events. So we can drop bombs. We can put bombs on foreheads and shoot bullets but we need that rest of that information. And how you do that at a neighborhood level is you build it out the community. So people have training, parents have training, law enforcement has training, and we get together every once in a while and say, hey, is anything anybody bothering anybody? 
here's one thing. I'll shut up for a second. Um, I learned this from NASA and NASA and SpaceX. This is really cool. And I think this is something we should institute. Uh, I'm probably going to mess this up. I don't even know if I have it right, but I thought, what a great idea. I think it was SpaceX and I'm pretty sure it was anonymous. So right before a rocket launches, or I think a few stages, they will do an internal polling of everybody in the room. You ever heard of this, John? I've heard of it. Yeah. And and I'm like, if this is what I think it is, but it's basically go, no, go. Like it's, and and everything's based on technology. Like everything's nominal. This poll is based off feeling. And it's like, whatever it is, you can't articulate it, but I have a feeling. So imagine if we had a school where you had teachers, you know, that were polled randomly. And if you had a spike in a group of those, they can't even put their finger on it. You might be able to bring those people and go, Hey, we noticed a spike here. Can it, can you talk about it? And what if they all say, well, we got this one kid in the class and he did A, B, and C. You see what I mean? So now we're, we're right. taking at different vectors, you know, instead of just trying to stop the pull of the trigger, you know, when the gun comes on campus, there's a whole chain of events there. You kind of brought up a thing I want to lead it to the idea of like, when you have like that spider sense or you feel something in your gut where something's out of place, specifically if you have that, that balance that we're supposed to be used to, like what's out of place. And is that a feeling or a sense that you can improve upon or is that something like your intuition or just your whatever your gut is that what if you have it you have it if you don't shit out of luck like how do you kind of improve that where it's like one of the best things i did in the secret service some of the training was the characteristics of an armed gunman and they gave this very basic it seems so stupid where it's a hot day 80 degrees guy in a trench coat he's sweating clenched fists i mean they described a a bad guy to a t Mm -hmm. and they're like what do you think, what's wrong with him? Well, it's hot out. Why does he have a long coat on? Sure enough, he's got a gun. And I always thought, man, this is, sure enough, I'm in the private security world at a big festival in South America. The same type of thing popped up. My, my spider sense went off where I'm like, I'm looking at the guy going, man, this is either a role player or this is the real deal. Huh. And sure enough, the guy had this weird machete on him outside this big soccer game. And I stepped back a couple years ago. I go, what's crazy is that my sense told me this is wrong. And it's like, like, how do you, without that specific training, how do we, again, someone off the street, a teacher or a mom or a stay-at-home dad, whatever it is, can you learn, is that a learned behavior where you can improve upon that? Yeah. So I'll start with this. I'll say there's a spectrum you can come into this world with and kind of be born with, you know, depending on, you know, how you came up, where you came up, high crime neighborhood, low crime neighborhood, that's all conditioning. So the more conditioned you are, the more aware you are. You know, if I take someone from the country, um, they're going to be a lot better. You know, when I have a Marine, they're a lot better at the ground sign awareness, tracking, looking for animals, being aware of that. But the city kid, you know, they'd be walking around and be like, hey, let's cut through this alley. And the city kid's going, nope, all the streetlights are blown out. He knows the lay of the land. So that's the spectrum you start with. Now, wherever you're at on that spectrum, you can absolutely get better. You know, it's, it's knowledge. It's like riding a bike, you know. If I sit here and talk to you about proxemics and I talk to you about closeness and nearness, these are all connected on on our survival mind, you know? So if I'm having a conversation and someone just starts getting a little bit farther away from me, that can show discomfort and whatnot. So you have enough of these trained in your head. It's this, it's like this. It's like, if I took a hundred pounds of stuff and threw it at the wall, I'll be hoping 20, 10, 20% sticks because any one of these tiny violent indicators could be that gut feeling all you need. You don't have to remember me, or you don't even have to remember the verbiage I tell you. I don't even care as long as your brain keys off and goes, 
A, A plus B plus C, you know what? The last time I saw these three things together, bad stuff happened. And that's how we get the gut feeling anyway. But what I want you to do is do the training and now make it verbal. You know, when I train cops, you know, I'm not going to cops analyze behavior way better than I ever will. They, they, they do it every day. But every time I still train cops a lot, when I go to them, I'll tell them an anecdote or story or behavior and they'll walk up to me on a break. And, you know, some old timer will be like, man, I've been doing that trick for 20 years. I didn't know it had a name. It's like, yeah, it has a name and you can articulate it in a court of law. So, you know, if I, if a cop says, you know, oh, I don't know, I shot him because he's hinky, you know, he's probably going to jail. But if I shot him because of A, B, C, and D, these behaviors were not baseline, they're violent threat indicators in my experience, now we're articulating. So you can absolutely do it. And all, all it takes is someone to show you, you know, that's all it takes. It's like, if you've been walking around your whole life and not realizing street signs in this neighborhood are two inches off the ground, all it takes is someone there to take your head and go, look. And they're like, oh, now you see the signs and you're not lost anymore. A lot of times you read about the bad actor here where he is, he will pre-stage, he will do, he will do practice routes, he will surveillance and stuff like that. Now that's obviously someone that's planning this. Maybe he has some of those, that gut feeling too on his end where he, I can't do it this day because they're on to me or something like that. But those, those specific people, if, if I see someone in a park bench every day for a week, he, it's, I start wondering, okay, that person's going to be there. Why isn't he there now? Why is he here there? And you start seeing this stuff happening. These people at grocery stores, again, at schools, with everything going on with their jobs and their stuff at home, and like how conducive is it to them to actually be like, man, that just seems out of place. Like it just seems like, or something like emergence after like a, the Buffalo grocery store shooting, could you actually go in or set up a, a replica of that actual place and the reaction stuff and kind of set it up where it's like, put these different people here different people in the town, not that town, but it'd be like, Hey, how would you react differently? What's out of place to you? Cause I'd be mm -hmm. really curious about that. Yeah. So in terms of realistic training, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do, but again, this is a societal kind of answer. You know um, the more conditioned there, we have something called in camp Pendleton in the Marine Corps or it's in both coasts on Lejeune too, called the infantry immersion trainer. And I think there should be a teacher immersion trainer, a civilian immersion trainer. And what they did is they got all these big brain PhDs and they recreated the smell, the sound, the feel, the touch, the humidity of being deployed in this warehouse. And they, they throw you in there and brother, it gets creepy real quick. I've done it after all my deployments. They have smell generators. They pump in like 20 parts, you know, urine and whatever, donkey, whatever, and all those things are hitting your, your systems all at once. That's very good training. And it's very good, good conditioning. Um, I have a video, I wish I could play it for you, of Las Vegas uh, PD putting on an active shooter training. Bro, this is the wildest training I've ever, this is the wildest. They, they used full-on Hollywood blanks. Like those things can hurt you if you, you get touched. Big three foot, the guy walks in with an AK, he's rocking and rolling, he switches to a shotgun. It's all right there. I'm like, wow. That is the best conditioning training I've ever seen for an active shooter. How are we going to be able to pull those off in our elementaries and our schools? Right. That's it. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. You talk about um, society. You know, we're an, we're a, we're a newer version of Israel. You know, I could uh, man, I, I could show you a video of an Israeli civilian, complete civilian. It's an on dash cam video of a cop car. This happened years back. The civilian spots a suicide bomber what he thinks is a suicide bomber outside of the mall. He walks over and, you know, cops having a lunch. 
and he knocks on his window and goes, hey, man, I think that guy's a suicide. He doesn't say, oh, I think something's off with this guy. He says, I think he's a suicide bomber. The cop gets out of the car, confronts him, and he cooks off. And it didn't kill anybody either, just himself. So they are under no illusions of the threat they're under. They have you know, weapon systems and one other. They're under that. If you go to the two or three, uh, third grade, you have EOD teams in there talking about different munitions, just like I did as a kid in Kuwait. I thought that's what was normal, looking at how to spot a mine. Right. Yeah. So those are two, two islands that are very far apart. We're getting closer, though. You know, it's when it, well, the thing too was like when you're on a crowded subway train and the guy pulls out a samurai sword or a die for that London bridge attack, the guy had a sword, or mm-hmm. you're in a Swedish market and a guy drives through the truck. It's all stuff that's happened, but I think people again are so this can't happen. There's no way a guy with a samurai sword is going to start stabbing people, or a truck's going to drive through a Christmas market with just ballards up and like there's, the cops got this. Well, sometimes they don't, and when that stuff happens. It is interesting watching the footage where how you see people react to different things. And obviously, not everyone has to be a hero. And I'm not, this isn't a call to or go after the gunman or disable the guy. But the people that do do that stuff, it is fascinating to see how they react to that and how they put a stop to that threat. Now, is that, is that this is a, doesn't mean that they're military person or prior law enforcement. Sometimes people just. Like that kid uh, that got killed a couple months ago, the football player, full scholarship. He jumped on the gunman and got killed. It's like he wasn't trained to do that, but he was. He he reacted in a way that was very selfless. And I guess I guess the question is, how do we get to the point where it's like, are we not selfless enough as human beings to do the right thing and help each other out, or are we still into our phones and all this type of stuff? Um. I think America's still shopping at the mall. Uh, I think America's shopping at the mall and, you know, the, the, the violence and the mindset hasn't caught up like my earlier example of Israel. I think we're still tweeting the stuff and, and kind of faffing when we have real threats and real violence happening to us more. I will tell you right now, John, more and more people are definitely listening up. Um, you talk about people attacking, you know, uh, that's a tougher subject, especially if it's not a trained person. But, you know, one of the videos, I have the active shooter pre, pre-behavior identification. So we're looking at this course, all the pre-behaviors. One of the incidents where the guy goes in, you can see the student that has spotted him five, 10 feet out, whatever it is before the person enters. And this is a kid, this is a 12 year old kid. He ends up macing the shooter in the, the face, tackling him, and then subduing him, getting a knife out of his hands. You know, can we train that in our kids? You know, one, our kids should be doing that. But the only thing I can tell, I don't want to be training kids in judo and whatnot, but what right. I can't train a kid is the, the pre-identification. Because if someone spots someone five, 10 feet outside the door, if I can give you 10, 20, 30 seconds, that really ups the chance that my heroes, there's not a lot of them out there, that gives them something to work with. You know, it gives them more, uh, more people to go, wait a minute, I see that person moving. I think something bad is going to happen as opposed to, you know, whatever, I could be Rambo. But if someone like that, the Las Vegas, uh, uh, in the exercise they yeah. were doing, the guy comes in yeah. with an AK blazing. What am I doing? I'm getting shot in the chest. There's nothing I'm doing, you know? Right. Um, so that's, that's a component of it. If we can do the early identification, build in 10 seconds, if those people exist, they're going to have more options to help other people out there. If, if say, we're at a, 
uh, embassy or a huge mega church or this place would have obviously infrastructure in place to detect this stuff. If I'm an employee at said church or whatever, and I see something out of place or I keep noticing stuff, it is do some do these organizations have a duty to not only listen to this person but to uh, possibly keep track of this and kind of build a case. I mean, I don't know if it's, that's the right word, but if I see something enough of my job where I'm like, hey, there's an issue here at this venue every day or this specific hour, can we just keep it monitor this? Like, are people not doing that type of basic work because they feel like uh, it's not going to happen here? Uh, a lot of companies, you know, you, you got a duty to protect your people from specific threats. You know, if you're a construction worker, you know, you got to be trained in how to deal with construction accidents and all that safety. But how do you tell someone uh, or a church or an organization or a business, oh, by the way, you have to protect your people from active shooters, you know? Uh, that can be very right. overwhelming. You know, I, 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 someone goes, gets educated their whole life in a, in a church or a business or whatever, they're not in this realm. So it, it falls on them. But how much time do we take every year in our organizations to do sexual assault, sexual harassment training or suicidal I mean, ideation hours and hours and thousands of hours across uh, tons of organization that's mandated by uh, OSHA. When you're in kid, how many fire, uh, you know, um, fire alert uh, exercises did you do? I got this. Uh, uh, I, did a lot, I did a lot more than they do now. Yeah. And Colonel Grossman, he talks about this. How many, you know, what is it? The law, it's every what, 15 feet. You have to have a fire alarm. When's the last time a kid got, you know, died in a school fire? Uh, when's the last time right. someone got shot? Uh, less than 24 hours ago at this point, you know? Right. So there's that. That's a, that's a pretty big hurdle to get over. Educators, business people, they're like, we just want to live life. Now you're telling me I got to counter a, a guy with a with, with a rifle, you know, it can be scary. It can be done, but just it's tough. When you're on a day off with your family or friends, you go out to the mall or a place. Maybe you're maybe you're on vacation. You go to some. Are you doing anything differently than you like, or or with your intuition and instincts and training, you could spot something. I would hope where it's hey, this is something off here. Let's not do this. But how, is it easy for you to kind of shut that off when you can? Like, or are you always kind of. I don't want to sit near there because there's glass windows. I need my back to the wall here in this restaurant. Like, how do you kind of shut that part of your brain off where in times when you don't really need to have it on or do you need it on the whole time? No, you don't want it on the whole time because again, hypervigilance, you'll burn right. out, you know, right when you need to pay attention. So you want to turn it off and turn it on uh, as you're able to do it. I was, uh, I'll give you this story. I was training a tracking dog. This is how you want to do it. This is how I explain it. Tracking dogs, they know how to track. That's something we used to do too, is teach you ground sign awareness. But um, this type of dog um, would burn itself out tracking. So it only has a limited amount of distance that it can go if it's on the whole time. Does that make sense? Um, right. So the handlers, we taught them to get better instead of just burning it out, you know, one shot, hopefully you would catch the person. You can turn the dog off and on. So they'd get to a point where they can't, the handler can't see the prints. They turn the dog on. And now what have we done? We've quadrupled our ability to pay attention. You see what I mean? Same thing with right. awareness. So you turn it off and on. So the analogy I gave you before, baseline plus anomaly equals decision. You should, no matter where you go, you shouldn't be, you know, paranoid and looking for, you know, shooters everywhere, but you should always be establishing baselines. That way you're not playing catch up. Because if I'm, you know, sitting at the mall, enjoying a Starbucks, I read my phone too. I'm on my phone too. It's not, you know, put the phone away and I'm just glaring at people. It's glancing, <laughs> right. you know, exits. Where are the vectors? Remember, where are they going to come in from? Exits, all this stuff you've heard before. Positioning myself 
and in the first place. So I don't get in a sticky situation. Uh, you know, you talk about concerts and crowds, you know, I, I always want to be on the edge and the periphery. If I have to move, yep. if I see a big crowd going this way, guess what I'm doing, John, I'm going the other direction because I don't want to get trampled. So not only turning it on, turning off, but setting up the, the position and situation that you are, you know, on the high ground, if that makes sense. Situationally, anyway. A lot of my friends laugh at me and stuff because I'm like, why don't you ever wear flip-flops out in public? And I go, mm. if there's a fire and I get to run across the pavement, I'm not going to be cutting glass mm. and all that stuff. And sure enough, after Vegas, a lot of the most of the number one injuries were people trampled and their feet were all cut up yep. and bleeding because they had the wrong – it's like – we, they joke with me about it, but they do see the sense that put yourself in the best position to be successful. Now, mm-hmm. if you're going to the beach, wear your sandals. Like you're not going to go out there with your slacks and petty loafers exactly. and just yeah. whatever. So mm-hmm. put yourself in a position to succeed when you can. It's I, I find it very, uh, I, I don't know. Like I, I think sometimes people, again, like you said, we've talked about, they just take everything for granted and don't really think about what could happen. And again, maybe, I don't know. It's, it's the whole subject for me is super fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with the prevalence of active shooter and all these horrible things, if you go out there and like for active shooter example, a lot of the training, the alert training, Alice training, it's great training. It's awesome. They, they really uh, take care of, they hit all the facets, but, but my critique is if you join any one of them, the FEMA courses, they all start when shots are fired. All right. When the shots ring out, right. all right. When they start shooting, it's like we as a society and as protectors got to get much more smarter than that. We have to start away that. And that's why I have my active shooter pre-attack behavior course is to let's look at everything but the gun. We'll look at weapon systems and weapons manipulation yeah. and all that. But what about this, the chain of events that have to happen? That pull of that trigger is the last event in a long series of events. Can I train people to look for any of those indicators? Absolutely, you can. When you get brought in or emergencies brought into a police department or you have to go to a seminar, I know you've done a lot of stuff with Byron Rogers yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Tony Blower and all those really great people at that, that level of training and thought. And how do you deal with ego? If you're going to a, a police department where whoever it is, like, oh, we don't need this guy. Like, we're we've done this 30 years. Is there any type of ego or pushback at all where you're kind of like, listen, guys, I'm here to help. You called me. Or is it something where it's like, uh, if it's not Yousef or some other guy that has five years more than you, and then he's like, well, I don't need to know anything here. I know I, I served infantry. Like, how do you kind of deal with that to actually be productive, especially when it comes to saving lives? It's funny that you mentioned cops, John, because I'll tell you, cops, I love you out there, but you guys are the most cantankerous, grumpy people out there. I got to spend 20 minutes just getting your arms uncrossed and getting them to calm down. Um, ego is always going to be involved, especially if you have some random weirdo named Yusuf coming into your industry that, you know, you're always going to deal with that. What I do is I use humor and I'll make jokes like that. And I'll, you know, open it up with like, Hey, you're going to sniff my butt for a little bit. I'll sniff yours. And then, you know, we're going to learn some stuff and how to survive. So you're always going to deal with that. But once people start getting into the nitty gritty of the subject matter, um, I'll tell you right now, the old, the more veteran, older you get, the more, the more fun they have with it because it's new and it's interesting and they can tie it to real world situations and, you know, I've had a couple of times when not just cops have walked up to me and they said, man, you just said this one thing. And I just remembered, I just got lied to and I got duped by this guy and I just realized it right now. So things of that nature, but you're always going to deal with ego, you know, but just uh, apply the training where it needs it, you know. 
So if someone, a corporation wants to reach out to emergence, like what's the protocol in place where they're like, hey, can you come in here? We've had this incident or this number of incidents. Uh, we've watched the news, it was in our town. What can we do to be better bosses, employees, CEOs? Is that something that where they reach out direct or say, hey, bring it here. And then you put together a plan in place in terms of how you would attack this training? Yeah, yeah, that's basically how it is. So basically they'll reach out to me or I, I sometimes reach out to them specifically if I if we've noticed certain patterns in certain industries, I'll go, hey, you might want to talk to you. But usually they'll reach out to us and we'll do an assessment. So not all threats are, are, are you know, the same. Again, we're not necessarily looking at low grade criminality. We're looking at specific threats. So the question would be, why are you calling me? What, you know, why are you talking to me? Why do you believe this is a threat? Uh, and then we start assessing from there different threat vectors. All right, you know, step one, we're going to get your people trained on very basic awareness, very basic behavioral awareness. That's like the blanket, you know, training. And then we're going to assess on indicators specific to this person. What is their MO? How, how do you see them going about? Is this a cyber threat? Because I've had those before too. That That's a different ball of wax than, you know, a, a domestic situation where a girlfriend broke up with a boyfriend or someone's being let off. So you do the initial assessment. I'll tell them if I can even help them. Sometimes people come at me and they want me to do this, that, and the other thing. Hey, man, we, you know, Marine Corps combat. It's like, yeah, that's, uh, you know, th those are for deployment, man. That's, that, that doesn't really work out here. So that's how we do it. And we go from there. Uh, you mentioned the cyber stuff. Is that in terms of how do you, from a behavioral standpoint, is this, would you base the emails or whatever outside the actual tracking, the uh, IP address, all that stuff? In terms of emails or handwritten stuff or stuff that isn't this person isn't really an action they've already done it, it's been sent in or whatever mm -hmm. how do you start tracking that from a behavioral standpoint is you looking at specific when the email or something sent how it's typed the language there like stuff like that there are forensic people and pathologists that will will look into this in my active shooter pre-attack course i mentioned i talk about um, some certain written things there are specific or can be specific indicators in handwriting or the structure of a sentence or the, or, you know, someone writes a manifesto, you know, that's like, all right, right. This, this person's got some issues or whatever. So that can indicate uh, things like schizophrenia, uh, certain mental issues that are tied with violent acts. So there are those people uh, to notice, especially going back to it again, baseline deviation, look at social media. Everybody's got that friend, who just posts a little too much on social media. You know, they're always talking about getting banned on social media. You know, you want to look for, you know, an, uh, any deviation. So if they uptick, if they start getting more ranty, more emails, more coordination, and it start getting, you know, that's a problem. Or what about this? Someone's ranting hard this whole time, John, rant, rant, anger, anger, anger. And then on Monday, they're like, they're all good. Now that behavior that was aggressive before is completely gone. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I, I, right. I need to know. It's like, again, or I'm not saying good or bad. I'm looking for the deviation, the change in that baseline. With the way technology is so readily available, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was watching a documentary about 9-11, and they mentioned some of the, the pilots that crashed the planes. They took flight simulators, and they were doing all this training and stuff. And it's like, what technology is today, is it too readily available to assist bad people, bad actors to do bad things. Like where do you, again, if you're a run a flight school and you notice this out of place, like not to stereotype or whatever, but it's like, do you, is it okay to ask those questions? At what point 
because I know some people, especially law enforcement, were oh he was harassing or he was. Well, if you stereotypes and all this type of that dialogue and that that thought process to stuff, there can be some truth to it. So how do you kind of filter through that where it's like, man, this just feels out of place. Like how do you do this in a smart way where it's you're not going like I'm not a racist, but I'm saying yeah. this guy is not a part. He's about to do right. Yeah. So how do you how do you do that, especially with all this stuff that's out there now? Out there now. Yeah. So. A couple components to this. So you mentioned technology. So I'll tell you the first one. Um, I was doing some training with uh, some people and it was basically an interview, uh, interview and interrogation course, how to conduct an interview, how to conduct an interrogation. Those are two different things, you know? Um, and I had my role player in front of me and she was good, man. This role player, she, I mean, she was a professional actor. I've never seen anything. I'm supposed to be interviewing her for a job position. And she has a res. I have a resume and I have all this and I have her. There's some weird stuff with travel. So I start digging and I'm Mr. Marine Corps. Ma'am, can you tell me about this? And she starts going off. She's like, oh man, it was so fun. I went to this place and I saw this and she's just like going off. I'm like, all right, can you answer my question? Going back to that. And I kept interrupting her, kept interrupting her. And finally, my, my uh, trainer, he smacks me on the back. He goes, Yusuf, shut up. Let her talk. Let her talk. You keep cutting her off. I'm like, uh, okay. So I shut up and now what are you doing? You're hearing the story. You're letting them tell the story and you're filling in little facets of the story. So the more information I know, we can take that and look back and go back. Are there baseline or the deviations? Hell, there's people that you can, um, you can do, you know, story analysis. Did you know that? You know, if I tell you, John, like, Hey, I need you to talk about this incident from beginning to end. And I tell you to write it down. There's people in software and technology. You can put that thing in there and go, this person's probably lying. Because think about a story. If someone's telling you a story, there should be a, a beginning, a middle, an end. Right. Those should be about the same length, give or take a little bit. But if you look at a story and it's written down, it's like big beginning, tiny little middle, big end. We're missing some pieces here. So always right. default to let them talk, let them listen. Like social media people banning um, you know, terrorism or, or bad people, ISIS online, don't ban any of them. Let them keep talking. Let them, let's keep tabs. Let's see where those IPs take us. Because the second you get in their face and you, and, and you interrupt them or go, oh, we want to talk to you, now the behavior changes. Now, now the TTPs change right. up and now, you know. Right. In terms, so to kind of, I guess, I think I figured out what I'm trying to say. With stereotypes out there, how does that get in the way of behavioral analysis where it's not, doesn't come off as, oh, you're targeting me because I'm Native American or I'm a white man or I'm an Asian yeah. woman. Like some of these people, like behavioral analysis, like I'm curious how you, you told the line between doing that as opposed to someone saying, oh, you're just targeting me because I'm different than you. Like yeah. how do you kind of deal with that? Yeah, there's, uh, we're doing some tech stuff and there's people that hit me up like ethical, you know, consideration, moral consideration. Right, right. And I get it, you know, I don't, I don't want to live in big brother land, you know. Um, so in terms of that, you keep it at behavior, John. When people try to inject uh, skin colors, religion, races, ethnic creeds, whatever it is, you keep it based on behavior. Within your fear centers, your brand, the limbic system, there are certain repeatable, provable reactions to stress and fear. So when we teach nonverbal body language, all this stuff, I'm not talking about the celebrities. Oh, look at the way they held their hand. It's like no one really cares, you know, looking for specific threat and uh, indicators and triggers. So if I can get people to look at that and not talk about any of the other stuff, 
So if someone comes at me and they're, or you're just saying that because I'm Arab and I have a beard. No, I'm saying that because your nonverbal was this, your proximate was this, you showed me this behavior and this situation here was a little odd and I'd like more explanation. That's another thing people don't want to do is if you dealt with a situation is put the grievance on the table. So if you're, you, let's say, let's use your example, you know, gentleman 9-11 using a flight simulator, you know, a, a person worried about, you know, getting in trouble wouldn't want to say, oh, I'm a little worried because he's kind of dark. He has got a beard and he's doing a flight simulator. Right, right. A trained person would be like, hey, man, I'm getting a weird feeling. You're coming into my flight simulator and you're telling me you only want to learn how to take off and fly, but you don't want to take but you don't want to learn how to land. That's a problem. Right. And you know what? I don't think I could serve you anymore. You didn't bring race, creed, any of it in there. And on another note, right. not to get political with you, John, but, you know, I don't do this anymore because it'd be like off with my head. Um, you know, I, I do this in the military back in the day, 10 years ago, I won't do it anymore, but I'd go in a room, any, any room I'm in, I'd start going around. I'd be like, identify yourself. That's all I'd say. I'd go identify yourself. A guy is mostly military males. They're like, Oh, I'm a white guy. I'm Caucasian. I'm American. I'm Mexican American. I'm Jewish. You see what I mean? In, 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 in one row of people, we can't even agree how to identify some used ethnicity, some used race, some used, you know, a color, you know? So when people right. try to inject that, it's like, you have no idea. People think I'm Mexican all the time, <laughs> you know? So let's take that outward. I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you're purple from Mars. If you give me behavior A, B, C, and D, that's indicative of a threat coming. Guess what, brother? You, you got my full attention. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And, uh, this has been awesome. I, uh, if someone wants to reach out to you or your class, obviously you have a website, you got social media. Is there anything specific you want to say coming up seminars or stuff where you're going to be teaching or presenting anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll get you the link for our active shooter pre-behavior identification course because everyone needs that. You talk about getting this information out to community. It's a short course, $97. And this gives you the pre-attack behaviors of that. We'll have a link for you. And if you're individually just interested in this stuff, check me out on Instagram. I have a Patreon and I have links to all this stuff in the Instagram. And I'm always out there doing the left to bang show, kind of giving this stuff away for free. Again, I work with organizations and I try to give as much, most of the, you know, individual awareness information out on my social media. So definitely. And at the end of the day, if you can't find any of that, just literally type in Yusuf Badu in the internet and I'm like apparently the only one in the world so <laughs> what, I, what I do love about your Instagram is that sometimes you'll post videos or stuff it doesn't have to be active shooter it could be a, a fight about to break out whatever it is you get you make people think and I think that's if anything can pull from your social media or, or just people like you uh just think about what happened what would you do differently I, I love the idea how you engage people to just think about different situations that one day we could all be in and I think there's mm -hmm. something really to that Yep. And everyone's focused on whatever your problem is, political violence, active shooter, right. crime, whatever it is. It's this big, scary event that causes death right here. And everyone's staring at it like, like a, through a McDonald's straw. And when you're not looking, you can't see any other solutions. We just get amped up. Kids are dying and we start yelling at each other. You know, we more divided. But if you calm down and look at it logically and take that problem and explode it, whatever it is, active shooter, political violence, explode it to all its little bits and pieces. Guess what? I don't have to see the whole plot come to fruition. I don't have to have like a God's eye view. I can just look at one of these behaviors, one of these pre-attack indicators and go, wait a minute, some crazy weird Arab guy said I should pay attention and I need to say something. And now we get the ball rolling and disrupting before the gun ever comes on campus before anybody has to die. Uh, this has been great, Yusuf. Thank you for your time and your energy. And thank you for what you do. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime soon.
Absolutely, John. Thanks again for having me on and uh, thanks for your readers and uh, you're doing good stuff out there, my friend. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SPEARCHOP10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SPEARCHOP10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.